In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, disciples. I call you disciples because you are here. And I know the risen Christ is speaking to you in some way, or you would not take the time to be here today, either online or in person. I'm so glad that you're here. Now, disciples, we have given, this morning, we have been given some of the richest texts, really two archetypes of disciples this morning. Paul and Peter, Peter and Paul, these fascinating scriptures in which the risen Christ literally calls these two men in two very different ways. Because disciples come in different ways, don't they? We are all different, all unique. I got to go to a conference this past week with some of my colleagues. There are about 20 of us, rectors and deans. We gathered on near the grounds of the National Cathedral. Randy Hollerith, who's a member of our group, who's the dean of the National Cathedral, was our host. I always learn so much from these people and from the scholars that come and talk to us. So I, I landed in D.C. and took an Uber, which is what you do. And as I was driving into D.C., I saw the Ukrainian embassy. And sure enough, all over the stairs in front of the Ukrainian embassy and on the ground, there were flowers. People had just been dropping off flowers in front of that embassy. All different colors, all over the ground. It was very beautiful. After I checked into my hotel, we walked up a hill to the National Cathedral, and I looked to my right. There were these houses, and they were so incredibly um, faithful and supportive of, of the Ukrainian country. There were balloons that were yellow and blue. There were sunflowers. They had planted sunflower seeds in their lawns. Uh, with signs saying that the sunflowers would be coming up soon. And they were very, very adamant. Some of the signs were quite amazing, like, Putin, you go to hell, and all this stuff. I'm thinking, wow, these, these people are amazingly forceful and adamant. There was a, a fence taller than me that was painted in blue and yellow. They had obviously taken a lot of time and effort to make their views known. After our meetings, I walked back down the hill and happened to look on the other side of the street where I realized why those houses were so vocal. Turns out the Russian embassy was across the street. <laughs> and when I got to the hotel, they told me that every night the neighbors from this particular neighborhood had gotten two huge spotlights. One is yellow and one is blue, and they shine them on the Russian embassy. And the Russians keep trying to use white light to blur the 
colors and they can't do it. So every night there's this weird light show going on. Paul was always adamant about his love of God. He was always a servant of God. He was just going in the absolute wrong direction. He really thought that God wanted him to persecute the followers of Jesus. He believed it. And so God literally had to shine a spotlight on Paul and say, What are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, Who are you? And the risen Christ says, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. And the light is so blinding that Paul cannot see for three days. His devotion to God, his love of God, was always all in, all in. He was just going the wrong way. So God had to literally blind him or whack him over the head, get him turned around and going in the right direction. I have a friend whose name is Sam. He's kind of like Paul. Sam was a drug addict. He was going in the absolute wrong direction. He loved the highs. He loved the life. He didn't seem to care about his family or work or money or anyone else except that high. He was hospitalized many times. But there was this one night in which he almost died. He woke up in the emergency room and a young woman, a nurse, looked him straight in the eye and said, what are you doing? And for some reason, it was as if a spotlight shone down from heaven and Sam woke up. He, and he asked himself, he said, what am I doing? He turned his life around, got in recovery, and today he is a counselor, a substance abuse counselor. He is a disciple, and he is just like Paul. He's all in. He was all into drugs, now he's all into Jesus. And it's awesome. Now, Peter, on the other hand, Peter loved Jesus. He must have loved him. When Jesus said, leave your fishing license and all your livelihood behind, leave your wife. We know he had a wife because his mother-in-law got sick. You don't have a mother-in-law without a wife, I think. Leave everything behind and follow me. And Peter does. Peter is willing to follow Jesus, but he's not quite all in. He loves, but he's scared. 
He knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the first one to say it. And yet, when Jesus is being tortured and someone says to Peter, do you, aren't you with him? Peter says, oh no, I don't know the guy. Three times he denies his love. And then you know he is torn apart inside. He's torn apart because he couldn't go all the way. He wasn't all in. He wanted to be, but he just wasn't there. But that's what I love about the risen Christ. If you mess up, he'll give you another opportunity to be all in. I don't think that God dwells on our mistakes at all. God just invites us to do something new. And so when Peter has gone back home and he's fishing like he used to do and probably wondering, what's next? When he sees Jesus on the shore and realizes it's Jesus, this time he's all in. I've never understood why he puts on his clothes before he jumps in the water. That seems kind of dumb, but whatever. When he gets to the shore, Peter asks Jesus three times this question in order to undo the three denials. But what struck me as I read this scripture this week was this little phrase I had never really noticed before. The first time that Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I thought to myself, who's these? Is he talking about the fish? Do you love me more than the fish? Is he talking about the disciples? I looked up the Greek. It's this incredibly vague word that could be an object. It could be people. It is plural. But why does Jesus say, do you love me more than these? What is these? I think Jesus wanted to know if Peter was all in. And if you're going to be all in, you have to love Jesus more than, and you tell me what these is for you. More than people liking you? More than money? More than your family, your children? Believe me, you and I are going to hit the more than. When my son Jake was really little, he was so blonde and cute, and he would say, how much do you love me? And I'd say, 100, because that's as big as I thought he knew. So we got this phrase. At night, I'd say, I love you 100. I could have said infinity, eternity. I was trying to make it the biggest. 
And I think for those of you who are disciples, who are on the way, who are trying to follow Jesus, the first step is, do you love God? And do you love your neighbor as yourself? And we can probably say, yes, we do. And then the next question is, do you love me more than? How much do you love me? See, I, I think I'm more like Peter. I never went in the absolute wrong direction. But how much, that's the challenge. How much can you love Christ? Because God will ask you for more and more and more. I think we disciples, we kind of hope that if we follow Christ, then everything will get easy. Did it get easy for Paul? Did it get easy for Peter? They both were called to love God more and more and to give up more and more. But at the same time, I'm sure that if you asked either one of them, they would say that they felt such joy. So which one do you think that you're more like? The Paul? Does God need to whack you on the head and send you in the other direction? Or are you more like Peter? Do you need just a little more challenge? Is God saying, do you love me more? Those two archetypes, they both end up in the same place. They both struggle. They both give up everything. And they both find eternal joy. Amen.